Misha? Thanks to Catherine Tucker Windham speaking at the 2010 Alabama Storytelling Festival at 92 years old about the importance of stories. I'm Amy Antonucci, and I'm here to welcome you to our True Tales Live Zoom show for November 28th, 2023. Thanks to everyone watching and listening, and special thanks to those of you who are here in our live online audience. Welcome. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide space for people to tell their first person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal, cultural diversity, and help us to bridge differences to build understanding and respect for each other. We're really happy to be here with you. Since we believe in storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, I do wanna give you some suggestions for making the most of this online format. First, um, if you do have your video on, we love it when you have big physical reactions to connect with the rest of folks. Like right now, show me your surprise. Um, you can also express your reactions in the chat box. We can save that later for the tellers. It's really nice for them to get. Uh, you can also use the chat box for questions if they occur to you, because we generally have enough time for a little Q&A at the end. Um, so you can ask your, the tellers a little more info. The theme for tonight's show is the elephant in the room. We'll hear stories from Pat Spaulding, Chris Newcomb, and Kamisha Foley, followed by that Q&A with the tellers and a short interview of Chris. Pat Spaulding will be our MC tonight, but um, first she's gonna tell us a story. So let me start by MCing for her. Pat Spaulding lives in Harrisville, New Hampshire and has been MCing and co-leading workshops for True Tales Live since 2014. For over 30 years, she made her living as a touring puppeteer, performing shows for children and families. Now retired, Pat continues to craft personal tales into programs of stand-up storytelling for grown-ups, presented as full shows or speaking engagements all over New England. Several of her stories are going to appear in the new anthology, 10 Piscataqua Writers, and the book launch, a book launch for that is soon to come. So you can watch her Facebook page and such to find out when and where that will be. But for now, please join me in welcoming Pat to our virtual stage. Thank you. <laughs> Alrighty now, for as long as I can remember, I've looked up to the sky in wonder. I have wondered about the animals I saw in the shapes of clouds. I have wondered about the connect the dots patterns that stars make. I have wondered where the vapor trails from uh, airplanes might take me. I've believed in the wonder of all of that I saw above this beautiful protective umbrella that was the sky, the place where I could make up stories that kept all the stories that I imagined safe. 
under protective umbrella. In the early 70s, my friends, Nancy and Patrice and I piled into a, a beater of a car named Julia after John Lennon's song to travel across the country. We painted California or bust under the trunk of Julia and headed into our futures. Julia's engine seized up just inside the California border and the car was pooched, but we were fine. Our friend Rick picked us up, drove us to his mother's house where we stayed until it was well past the three-day limit for company and fish. And Patrice had to go back to Vermont anyway, so she flew off, leaving Nance and I to freely roam for the rest of the summer. I had saved $600, a big sum of money. We stuffed our clothes and sleeping bags into some borrowed backpacks. We're loaned a small tent and a tiny propane stove. Waved goodbye to Rick's mom and climbed into his car to be delivered to a bus that took us to Yosemite National Park. In the lower campground, we signed up for a trek led by a really, really old guy, probably over 70. We couldn't imagine being that old, but he was in good shape. And he led the motley crew of us, some in a lot worse shape than he was, up to the top of a high point where thousands of monarch butterflies swirled through the sky above. If this was the high country, that's where we needed to be. So we left the families in their folding chairs and their picnic tables full of groceries to climb up, up in sneakers with no complaints from our feet. We were young, confident, and self-important with our adventurous lives ahead of us. We picked wild onions like Yule Gibbons, if anybody remembers him, to sprinkle on top of our canned vegetables because we didn't have all of that small sealed up stuff and uh, imagined ourselves living off the land. Then Nancy heard that smearing wild onions on our skin would keep the mosquitoes away. Well, it didn't, it just made us itch. At night, we climbed into a tent with a flashlight to read to each other from Jermaine Greer's book, The Female Eunuch. I don't remember anything about what it said, but at the time, it made us feel like liberated women seeking freedom from the mundane rules of social conformity. We were in the wild and roughing it. Roughing it? Yeah, well, we really did, couldn't stand the taste of um, instant coffee. So we packed real coffee to make cowboy coffee, um, which it needed to boil water and toss in a few spoonfuls of ground stuff and then an eggshell for whatever reasons, um, letting the, this concoction settle for several minutes until we strained it through, I don't know, something into our tin mugs and stirred in some powdered milk and some sugar and pretended that we were enjoying roughing it like cowboys. But every so often, we found a high Sierra camp where we could buy a real cup of coffee with real cream and sit on a porch to enjoy this luxury like civilized ladies, like the women we pretended that we didn't want to become. A sign on the trail to Tuolumne Meadows read, trail closed. It was in big print. In smaller print, it said something like fragile area, alpine flowers. I decided that that sign didn't really apply to us. I mean, we could step around fragile flowers. We could be careful. So we kept going until we were stopped 
and severely reprimanded by a forest ranger who seemed to be more concerned about the rules than he was about us. But we convinced him to let us keep going anyhow because we could actually get off the trail sooner if we continued and then went off rather than backtrack to where we started. So he made an exception. At the time, that time of my life, and probably even into the recent present, uh, present, I expect exceptions to make made for me. On some nights, we, um, sorry, we would spread our sleeping bags under that starlit umbrella of a sky. Uh, now we had read the rules about bears, and so we knew enough to hang our food. Uh, from trees at least 10 feet up and um, attach a rope to two trees with one in between and then hang the pack of food on that cross rope. I don't know how we figured out to do that, but somehow we did. We followed the rules. And then one night from our sleeping bags, <laughs> we noticed a bear, a mother bear and two cubs. What we hadn't noticed was that that line over that our food hung from was um, above a big rock. And so um, we had to um, watch her climb on that rock and reach up for the food. Well, the cubs in the meantime scurried down away from her toward us because they were curious. Well, Nance didn't want the mother to come looking for her cubs. So she pulled out her handy whistle. <laughs> and blew on it hard. The piercing sound scared the cubs away, so that worked. But it also caught the attention of the mother bear who turned around to look at us. I mean, she must have been 50 feet away. She wasn't close, but you know, close enough, a bear. And huff. It was scary. Then she went back to the task of reaching up for the food. And Nancy blew the whistle again. And the mother bear stopped and huffed and reached up. For the, well, I was ready to just sacrifice the food. But Nancy kept blowing the damn whistle. And every time the bear stopped and huffed and then turned back, well, there were three things that could have happened. One, the frustrated mother could have turned to charge us and the damn whistle. Or two, she could have ignored the whistle and just kept pouring at the food bag until she finally knocked it to the ground or three. She could have just given up on this annoyance and headed back into the woods. Luckily for us, she chose, chose option three and we watched her amble off followed by her two cubs. How we slept through the rest of that night without staying awake for the return of the mother bear I will never know our naivete, our youth protected us. A notice came through the camping channels that John the astronomer, a professor from Berkeley was traveling the national park circuit that summer. So Nance and I signed up. He arrived at the top of Glacier Point in an ordinary pickup truck with the world's largest traveling telescope mounted on the back. He stretched it up skyward, set up a ladder for people to climb, and one at a time to a small platform. Each person would climb up and stand close to the lenses, press their eyes against it to look at, up at the galaxies far, far away. And while people took turns climbing the ladder, others of us stood on the ground looking up, 
listening to the bearded professor describe what we could see to the, be seen with the naked eye, the clusters of bright stars that we saw didn't really exist in the present. We were witnessing explosions that happened millions and millions of years ago, light years of time ago, but none of it existed in time as we knew it. Mm. My brain wasn't capable of understanding the non-existence of time, but that was okay. Even if my imagination was stretched beyond its limits, my feet were still firmly planted on the ground. Then it was my turn to climb the ladder. And I fixed my eyes in the proper place to see hundreds or thousands or millions of bright specks of light, some in glorious circular clusters, some vibrating. As I listened to John the astronomer expound upon these bright dots in the deep darkness of the ever expanding universe. Yes, witnessing explosions from the past where the past cannot be identified as different from the present, if there even is a present or a future, a future for my tiny insignificant speck of a life in this ever expanding universe. My brain froze. I had to flee. I was too small to stand alone. I ran down the ladder to hug Nancy. I needed tactile proof that even if my life was an unimportant fraction of a speck on the scale of this ever-expanding universe, at least I did exist right here, right now, in this present time at the bottom of the ladder with Nancy, who knows my past and will travel with me into the future, our futures, at least for the rest of this summer. Yeah, we're here right now, feet on the ground under a beautiful starlit sky, vast beyond anything I could or wanted to imagine. That's it. <laughs> okay, see you later. Oops. Yes, I'm back. Oh, now that's you're right. going to introduce. Right. I no, I forgot. Okay, I had a role as storyteller. See ya. Now I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> it is now my pleasure <laughs> to introduce Chris Newcomb from Gorham, Maine, um, who taught gift, gifted and talented students in Maine public schools for over 30 years, now retired. He keeps busy as an artist, author, and storyteller. A collection of his original myths and um, allegories the Stories We Tell Ourselves, is available on Amazon. His one-woman show, which, Chris, you can tell us about later, that's coming up um, in the future. I mean, one-man show, I guess. One-person show. One person. <laughs> is that what it said here? Um, 
Yeah, I didn't say one person show. I'm man, I'm I'm flustered. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the title is Think You Might Be Wrong. Um, it debuted at Footlights Theater in Falmouth, Maine in 2022. I saw that show. It was good. Glad I went. That show and many of Chris's other stories can be found on his YouTube channel, Thanks for Thinking, with Chris Newcomb. And his artwork can be viewed on his website. And he'll post links to that later in the chat. The title of Chris's story tonight certainly piques my interest. Let's hear more about Ellen Stout, IRS. Take it away, Thank Chris. You. Thank you. <laughs> uh, in 1995, I received this letter from the IRS saying that I was being audited for taxes I had filed three years previously. Now that year, my daughter Amy had lived with me, so I had had some deductions related to that. And I also had an art studio in my, my apartment and I deducted some you know, some expenses related to that. But I was a beginning teacher. I didn't make enough to even pay my bills. So I also had several part-time jobs going on just to make the, you know, meet my, meets ends, you know, make ends meet. So I really, you know, I was really poor. I didn't think much about this audit, you know, how big a deal could it be, right? <laughs> yeah. So the day of the audit, audit, I arrive in the parking lot in my 1983 Chevette. I called it my shove it because every time I wanted to get in it and start it, I had to get inside, put it in neutral, release the emergency brake, jump back outside, grab the door and the hood and shove it down the road until I could get it going fast enough to jump back inside, pop the clutch and start the engine. It was a piece of crap. <laughs> you know. Anyway, the only spot open in the parking lot at the IRS was next to a brand new or well, looked brand new Lincoln Continental. The waiting room. This, I hear my voice, my name called by this very stern looking woman. She comes out, she, she says, hi, my name is Ellen Stout and extends this long bony hand. She says, follow me. And I turn and she just marches lockstep down the hall. And as we pass this, what looks like a break room, break room, she says, oh, do you need anything to, to drink? No, no. And she just keeps going. We're in her office. She has a large picture window that looks out over the parking lot. And I think, aha, maybe I can start this with a little bit of humor, lighten things up. I go over to the window. I motion for Ellen. I say, Ellen, do you see that Lincoln Continental down there? And she goes, yes. And you see that little brown piece of crap next to it? That's my car. Ellen, I think maybe you're auditing the wrong person. <laughs> Without hesitation, she looks me dead in the eye and she says, I'll be the judge of that now, won't I? Ooh. And then she took me on a two-hour house of horror ride, trying basically to accuse me of cheating the federal government. When it came to art supplies, she said, now, did you have any tubes of paint left over at the end of your year? And I said, well, of course I did. Oh, did you have any paintings that you didn't sell? Well, yes, Ellen, I did. Well, you can't deduct the paint that's in those tubes that's on those canvases, can you? <laughs> I said, what? Come on, Ellen, this is crazy. How would you expect me to even figure that out? And then I said to her, I said, Ellen, you know, my, I do my business on a cash basis, not accrual. And, you know, I have the right to expend, you know, to, to deduct all of my expenses that way. And that's when I realized that she had probably never audited a small business or like an artist before. She'd probably always done corporations. When she, her reaction to my thing about cash basis, she holds up a note. She goes, well, I'll... I'll look into that, won't I? 
She then asked me, she says, now your daughter, how do I know that she ate any of this food that you bought for her? Did you keep receipts? What? I said, Ellen, even if I did keep all the receipts, how can I prove that she ate any of that food? Come on, Ellen, you've got to admit this is ridiculous. <laughs> she did not like that. On she goes, on she goes. Finally, she pulls out a form that I had filed, you know, with my forms. And she said, did you read the fine print? Well, probably to be honest with you, Ellen, I probably didn't. What's it say? Well, how should I know? I've never read it, but I don't have to. And then she went on and on and on. And she just for two hours, she did everything she could. It was unbelievable. At the end, she says, well, it appears that you have not, you, you have uh, paid $200 less than you need to, to the federal government. And I knew that I could probably fight this because she didn't know what she was doing, but I was so tired. I was beat after all this. And I just said, okay, you know, $200 was not, not nothing, but okay. So I signed on the dotted line and that was it, right? <laughs> oh no, no. By the time Ellen was done with fees and fines and penalties, she turned that $200 into $2,500 debt. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I get home. I think, what am I going to do? I picked up my guitar, which I'm using my ukulele for tonight, and I wrote a song. She came down the hall, her long arms stretched out. Ah, uh, there you are, she said. I'm Ellen Stout. Need anything to drink, anything at all to eat. Just turn your head and cough. I'll examine your receipts. My name is Ellen Stout, IRS. Now, is this really your correct address? And have you filed a Form 1040 SLEZ? And read the fine print? Well, of course you haven't. <laughs> Neither have we. I don't care if you just got divorced. It doesn't matter here, compassion has no force. If I accuse you as I am prone to do, the burden of proof will rest entirely on you. My name is Ellen Stout, IRS. Now don't blame me, I didn't start this mess. But since the system's here and I need the work, I'll find a thing or two behind which shadows lurk. I look for shadows, for they reveal distorted images of what is real. And from those images, I deduce just who's lying and who tells the truth. My name is Ellen Stout, IRS. Now, if the truth be told, I must confess. My favorite form, it's business loss or gain. For that is where I can induce most pain. My name is Ellen Stout, IRS. Now is this really your correct address? And have you filed a Form 1040 SLEZ? And read the fine print? Well, of course you haven't. Neither have we. <laughs> and that's Ellen Stout. <laughs> now, what do I do here? I got to mute myself, but I don't know how. There we go. Ah. <laughs> Good one, Chris. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't want to meet her. I hope she 
no longer works. I hope I never will meet Ellen Stout. But um, thanks for creating such an accurate song about such people. I'm sure that there are people that actually deserved. I mean, there's so many people that, oh, well, we won't go there. All righty. <laughs> On to our next storyteller, Kamisha Foley, who lives in York, Maine. She's a member of the Northeast Storytellers and a frequent participant in True Tales Live, both as a teller and as a volunteer. In October of 2023, she taught a storytelling course for health industries professionals at the National Association of Home Care and Hospice Conference. Her belief is that storytelling is the energy slash ingredient slash medicine we all need to share to allow us to connect with each other. Well stated, Kamisha. Kamisha categorizes the story she'll tell us tonight as one of performance punishment, as in no good deed goes unpunished when you're trying to be a team player. His title is appropriately team player. Take it away, Kamisha. Hi. Oh, I was standing in front of these three amazing buildings, brand spanking new with sparkly glass and a gleaming parking lot in its own garage. I had landed. I finally landed a job where I always wanted to work as an executive assistant for this very large company. They were listed as one of the top 100 places to work in Northern Virginia. And it was really hard to get a job there. So here I was on my first day, dressed in my blackity black suit, black heels, just me with makeup. And I was just so nervous, but I was very excited. And in the door, I went right to the reception area with this ginormous security guard was waiting. And as I looked around, everybody was rushing by, dressed to the nines. All the men looked like they were GQ and the women looked like the devil wears Prada. It was unbelievable. <sighs> yeah. And in the corner was its own coffee shop. Now that's what I call a great place to work. Oh, well, I've been hired to support one of the vice presidents. And, but before I could get there, the security guard had to bring down somebody to escort me. And one of my colleagues came to get me. And all I could think about was all of the cool things that I was going to learn about. She came, she said, hey, how are you? Let me show you around. We're going to get you settled, get your badge. She took me into the building. She said, first off, we're going to go drop your stuff off at your desk. So we take the elevator up to like the sixth floor and to these beautiful brand new cubicles that go for miles. I mean, this was this hardcore office building. Picture it early 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's cubes as far as you could see and, and just very clean and glass and shiny. And when she took me into my cube to drop my things off, I looked and it was like beautiful. It was so beautiful. And I said, okay, okay, calm down. She said, let's go get your stuff that you need. And she took me down to the supply room. Supply room was bigger than my house. Oh, I said to her, when, when am I going to meet Phil? Phil was the guy I was supporting. 
She said, oh, you'll meet him in a little while, but not right now. You have to get your supplies and then we'll take you to HR and then you'll get orientation and then you'll do that. Okay. So off we go. I go down the supply room. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm off a supply junkie, but I got nothing on this place. Anything I could have ever wanted for my desk. I meet every office supply, any color pen, brand new laptop, keyboard, headphones, post-it notes. I was ecstatic. I'm like, ooh, this is what it's like to work for one of the big companies. Got my stuff, and then she took me to HR. She said, I'll see you later. You can stay here, and they'll tell you where to go next. I went into HR. They called my name. I went in with the little classroom. They said, call me a name again. Take me over to this woman named Laura. Laura says to me, oh, I'm so excited to finally meet you. She said, you know, when you applied to this job, you were one of the first people to have a certified administrative professional designation. How long have you earned that designation? I just earned it a year ago. She says, well, that's fantastic because we need somebody with your skills and your experience. It's just you're going to be a perfect fit. But I need to tell you, um, we had to add another person on to your, to your, to your workload because um, they just joined and they're a brand new vice president. And, and we knew you would be able to handle it because you're, you're so experienced and you've got your certification and you're just going to be great. So don't, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to be a team player. I'm like, okay, no problem. Um, sure, sure. She goes, I'll take you to introduce you to Phil later, and then you'll get a chance to meet the new guy. Okay. Later comes. I get settled in at my desk. Here comes Phil. Hey, welcome aboard. He's so nice. He's like really energetic. He's happy going, but he's been in the company forever. So I call him the old hand. He's the old hand and he's got a great attitude. He works as hard as everybody else. He says, you're going to work really hard, but I'm going to make it really fun for you. Anything you need, you let me know, but just let me know, communicate clearly everything. Don't, I don't want no surprises. Uh, okay. <sighs> he walks away. I turned to the woman next to me and I said, Hey, wh where's the coffee? Cause I don't want to go downstairs. She said, I don't make coffee. I don't know, and I don't drink it, and I don't care. I guess she's not really much of a team player. But that's okay. I'm going to stay positive. Next thing I know, here comes the new hand, the new guy. Hey, I need stationery with my name on it, and I need you to not hello, not how are you. So glad you're here. Mm-mm. I need, I need stationery with my name on it, and I need you to get to me by next week. Okay, and while you're at it, I need a few other things, and rattled off a whole list of things which I quickly wrote down. But you know what? It should have been a clue. Yeah, so the old guy, totally chill. Old hand, old hand didn't have very many challenges at all. But the first thing that gave me an idea that something might not be right with the new hand was when he asked me to park his car or when he asked me to run across the campus in the rain to a conference room to show everybody he had an assistant. Yeah, I didn't like that so much. And all the other EAs would say to me, 
no, 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 no. You shouldn't be doing that for him. No way. Don't do it. You're going to set yourself up. I said, well, I want to be a team player, though. No, don't do it. Next time he asks you, don't do what he asks. Okay. Weeks passed. Next thing that happens, hey, I need you to work on Saturday, and I need you to set up um, uh, a party at my house, and here's all the information. Call my wife. Make sure you get everything there. I didn't think to ask anybody. I mean, I want to be a team player, right? I'm keeping all the other things running and rolling for the old hand. But the new hand, he is busting my chops. And I am trying so hard to keep up. And it's a big deal. But I don't want to say anything to any of the other EAs. So I do it. I do it. Even though. I've had all the warnings. The party goes off without a hitch, even though I know that all the charges went on as corporate Amex. I knew better, but I just was so worried about fitting in. The time came for me to have a confrontation. Well, not really. One day, after all this was going on, I finally said, you know, this, this is not right. You're your, your your Amex bill is max and I can't put anything else on it. Don't worry about that. Just meet me downstairs shortly. So I go down to the front drive, throws his keys at me and he says, I need you to park my car. I'm late for the board meeting. I'll see you later. What am I going to do? I go park the car, right? All the EAs all over me. Like, why did you do that? You know you shouldn't be doing that. You're going to set yourself up. You're in big trouble. Well, sure enough, I was. Because the very next morning, here comes Mr. Old Hand. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm probably going to talk to you later, okay? I'm like, sure, great. Here comes Mr. New Hand. And he's coming out of his ears and he's stomping towards my desk like a bull. Oh, do you know what you did yesterday? No. You have no idea what you did yesterday. No. You parked my car and left for the day without telling me where you parked it. I had to drive all three garages with the security guard to figure out where my car was. I guess my subconscious had gotten the better of me. I was just paying him back and didn't even know it. But then what happened was even worse, because when I met with Mr. Old Hand, he said, hey, not good. You better hurry up and find something quick, because you're going to have to get transferred to another department, because Mr. New Guy definitely wants to get rid of you. I looked at him with shock. I was like, dude, I... I'm a team player. He said, no, you're not. I said, what? He said, whatever you think of the definition of team player is definitely not we as a company think of as a definition of team player. So get your resume ready because you're going to need it. Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to be a team player. And that's okay by me because I just went and played for another team.
Ah, that was riveting. I now know something about working for a corporation and um, glad I never had to have that experience. <laughs> Thanks for making it so entertaining as well as educational, Kamisha. All righty, now I'm gonna give it back to Amy, correcto? You got it. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> so folks, we have um, some time here for Q&A. Um, go ahead and use the chat if you have questions. I have a few already here. Also, we have a few pictures to look at. And in fact, maybe we'll start with that. There, I have a great one of Kamisha and let's see it. Off to work in her black suit. You folks see it? There she is. Beautiful. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Kamisha, was your next job better? Yes, it was. <laughs> it was working for one vice president and it was at a nonprofit. <laughs> Do you feel like you learned lessons from that first or that other job that, that actually ended up serving you well? Uh, yeah, like people pleasing will kill you. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> um, all right, Pat, I'm going to bring some of your photos up. Um, well, actually, I think it's going to start with Kamisha and then we'll go on from there. Let's see if that works. No, okay going to have to do it a different way. Sorry, folks. Do you care which one comes first, Pat? Nope. All right. My first question to you, which will go along with the picture, is are you and Nancy still in touch? And let's see you and Nancy. There you are. Oh, yeah. Well, Nancy, actually, after that summer, we became partners in puppetry. We were originally um, Silver Penny Puppets. So that's the beginning of our puppety, puppetry career. But that's us about the time of the story. That's the way we looked. So darn cute. Um, and yeah, we're still in touch. Um, Nancy and Patrice and I were all three friends that are still pretty close. I see Nancy a lot. I go up and see Patrice in Vermont a lot. And uh, yeah, we hang. We're still hanging. Actually, are both of them here? Look at that. Both of them are here, aren't they? Well, they knew they knew enough that I was scrambling to get this story together. <laughs> and Patrice sent me the photos. She's like, I'm getting, I can't find this stuff. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, Nancy is here. Patrice was earlier. Um, cool. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. And tell us about this. Yeah, that's Nancy around that time. And um, I'm not exactly sure where that was. It wasn't in Yosemite, but I mean, cause you know, we were there in the summer, but she is uh, playing her recorder, I think. Looks like it. Um, very talented. So talented, Nancy. <laughs> oh, hmm. oh Kamisha. Yeah, hold on. I don't know. I'll, I'll get the, another one. Don't worry. <laughs> it's acting funny. Um, so I actually was gonna ask you um, 
do you ever have any other experiences like that in your life? You mean where you, um, you're just kind of startled into what are, don't they call that an existential crisis? crisis? Yeah. Do I ever have? Yeah. On a regular basis. Yeah. I, I keep having them. Hmm. But, that, but that, was, one, yeah. that was a big one because I was so uh, full of myself and full of the promise of my life and the belief that everything was just going to be great and adventurous. And, and my life was big, you know, it was big and important. And then boom, by comparison, I got, it just shrunk, just, and I don't, um, at this point, I just kind of feel like, oh yeah, I'm small, but that's okay. You know, it just keep your feet on the ground and keep looking up and um, don't worry about it. (laughs) That's uh, me and Patrice looking really cute and 60s, 70s-ish. Yep, that was us. And this is a a group show where I'm the one on the far left looking sleepy. Patrice is on the far right looking bright and happy. Nancy's there in the hat showing off her leg. And um, I think Jane Kaufman is beside her. Maybe Becky, her daughter is beside. Looks kind of like Becky. And I'm not sure who this middle person is, the, the primary person. I don't know. But that group shot is... Once again, of the time of that story. And that's kind of, that's the way we dealt with life. Just hanging out and looking around for what was next and enjoying the moment. Nice leg dance. <laughs> nice. Um, I have a question has come he- up here from Julia for Chris. And really the question is, did you have to pay the money? Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, I did have to pay the money. I, I did uh, write the IRS and I got it reduced by about a thousand dollars. I said that this woman had no clue what she was doing and they explained those things. And they wrote me a letter back and they said, you know, we're sorry, we're going to and they reduced it. It should have been reduced. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I shouldn't have to pay anything. But uh, that was the best I could do. And it was interesting because at the time, this was 1995, Right after that, there was a, an article about uh, how the IRS was being told they can't do this. They need to concentrate on big businesses and corporations, not on individuals, because they were they were just going at individuals like crazy. And I just happened to get, you know, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here's one that is for all of you, and we can see who wants to take it first. Jane's wondering. If any of you kept going with these stories, what would be the next chapter? What would you add next? Anyone have a thought on that? (laughs) I'll take it. I would have, if it was a made up next chapter, I would have had an opportunity to run into this person again when they were being this is not very mature. Fired. <laughs> I would have. I'm not. I'm not a, a um, not a good sport. So I probably would have reveled in seeing them lose their job, which is not a very good human being quality, but it's the truth. You wanted your Schadenfreude mo- moment, isn't that the word for it? Yes, <laughs> that payback for sure. 
Uh, Chris, what do you think? Well, it's hard to say I'm not as naive as I was back then. Um, you know, because I did, I went in thinking, oh, I, I didn't even take receipts in when I went in. I just thought, oh, this is not, you know, I don't make enough money. This is just a mistake. And uh, I think I ended up having to go back a second time or something. But uh, so probably I wouldn't be as naive and I would have uh, really fought this thing all the way, I think. But then there's a part of me that's still naive. I just, you know, I'm not a person that thinks in the fact those figures like that. I'm much more of a big picture kind of person and creativity and that's that's the thing that I work with so I'm, I'm not sure exactly I think I would have at least fought this one a little bit more you know um, ah, so, so interesting you actually answered the question of how what would you change is that kind of what you just answered yeah yeah okay okay um, Pat now there are two kind of options out there for you to respond well let's see I struggled so much sort of constructing this as a story that I'm quite a ways from the sequel. I, it ended at that moment of just brain freeze. Now, I guess maybe Nancy and I would go on, and we did go on to hike different places to well, there is one thing that was that was that sort of surprised me as the summer went on. Nance and I split off. She went off to do some other adventuring. I met up with a boyfriend to go bicycling in um, around the West Coast and Nova Scotia. And the whole time that I was traveling with my boyfriend, I really missed Nance. And I felt bad about missing Nance so much because I thought, well, I should be happy because I've got moving my boyfriend and this is an adventure. But there was something about that um, that change, you know, that dramatic realization of being small after being so full of myself with adventure and kind of sharing that experience with Nance that uh, it made there was a bond that I missed and. Mm -hmm further adventuring didn't have the depth of quality that that um those three weeks i think it was in the summer had there was a lot of exploring and experiencing things i hadn't experienced before and taking chances and getting away with it didn't get eaten by a bear hmm. yay us <laughs> can i can i respond to that a second mm -hmm. yes oh, am i am i yeah um, so that when you mentioned the stars looking up at that, I was in Hawaii last year and I, one night I, you know, I just suddenly I was sitting out and then looked up at the stars and I have never seen so many stars in my entire life. And I, I just felt like Hawaii has stolen the stars from Maine and everywhere else and that has them there. And if you've ever been there, it's, it's, I mean, I've been in the mountains of Colorado and Wyoming and I've seen those stars and I've been, but there's nothing quite like being in Hawaii. It's unbelievable. When you look at the, the Big Dipper, for example, it's not just those dots. The Dipper itself is filled with so many stars that it's actually silvery gray. I mean, it's really? just unbelievable. There's so many stars within it, and I'd never seen that before. So all these constellations, yeah, there's these bright stars, but inside it's as if it's silver or gray. It's amazing. Oh, that's I, interesting. The yeah. Big Dipper is full. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Well, that is a great segue to Kathy's question to Pat, which is, you know, in the beginning of that story, you described the sky as, as being, 
you know, sort of safe and holding you, did this relation, did this um, experience change that relationship? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't exactly sure how to end it. I tried to sort of include that every time I uh, told the story, I changed the ending slightly, but yeah, it was like at the beginning of my childhood, the sky was part of my life. And so whatever my imagination, the stories I heard, the stories I made, you know, that was like an umbrella of protection and as part of my life. And when I went, when I had that experience of just looking, zoom, 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 and it was nothing that I could identify. It just blew the top off the sky. It wasn't mine anymore. You know, it just went into unknown regions, a scary that I still cannot conceive of. And even though um, I believe in science and I believe in the, in, you know, and all the magic and wonder of not knowing, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable, not as comfortable as the the imagined stories and kind of a, a sense of, oh yeah, I know about that. I don't, I don't know about any of it. Not, don't know nothing for sure. Interesting, thanks. Um, now Chris is gonna be the, the interviewee, but here's a little something he can do right now. Chris, someone would like you to Show us a little of your artwork if it's right there and easy for you to access. Anything you can pull up and show us? You're muted. Here he comes, I think. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, let me see, I can just pull my website up. So I have to share screen, right? Share screen. And can I share the screen? Go ahead. Yeah. It says it says one participant can share at a time. That's that would All be. Right. And I'm doing this right there. Okay. And share. All right. So this is uh, my website called uh, just chrisnewcombart.com. So I've been working with this really wonderful process called uh, it's it's woodcut um, watercolor prints. So I had been working with steel up for like. 10, 12 years, and then I started making these uh, watercolors. And these are all, so these are all watercolors. Um, and they're made with a woodblock. So you carve the image and then you, you print. And because it's a wood, it's watercolor, you print just one little tiny bit at a time. And then you put some more on, you put some more on. So these are just, uh, and most of my work is abstract. Uh, so you can get a sense of, let's see, move this over a little bit. Well, what did I do? I went to, there's too many things on my screen. Good Lord. Let's see here. I want to be there. Um, yeah, so like this is a collage and what's I love this. It's just the pieces cut and put back together. Um, this is over here on the this uh, sort of the one with the rectangles that I call my um, community garden. Um, and this is a detail from that. Uh, so if I could hide these, maybe that would help, wouldn't it? I don't know how to do that somewhere. Oh, well. um, but you can get a sense of some of these. You know, I do, like I say, all abstract um, work, a lot of color. And that's just been so fun after working with steel, which is so filthy and loud and nasty and toxic, <laughs> to be working with something that's so bright and colorful and just so much fun. I'm having a great time. So anyway, I'm going to give you uh, in a little bit. I'm going to post in the, um, let me see. I don't want to do this wrong. I got to get back to us, the Zoom thing.
So you need to unshare screen, Chris. Actually, maybe I can do it for you. Um, I don't know that I can. You have to go up to the top. Uh, actually, I can do it. I did it. There we go. <laughs> thank you. We did. We did it. Um, thank you. That's great. We appreciate that. And you, folks, you're going to get to hear even more from Chris in a few minutes. Um, I'm just going to wrap up a little bit. I have some some info to share with you, some updates to give you um, before we move to the interview. So let me thank you all for being with us tonight. And special thanks to our tellers Yay! and our live audience. As I said, we're soon to move to our after story conversation segment, the backstory. But first, let me tell you, our next True Tales Live Zoom show is going to be in January. Day after Christmas seemed a little much. So we're going to hold out for Tuesday, January 30th, 7 p.m. It has an open theme and it will be on Zoom. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the link to register as an audience member. Uh, the dates and the themes have been chosen for our 2024 schedule. And of course, we need tellers for all of it. Um, the list is just today. I posted it on our Facebook page. Maybe Kamisha or something. Well, no, actually, it's probably hard for Kamisha as a recorder. Well, I'll get that in the chat, though, in a minute. Um, and we'll get it onto our website really soon, too. A lot of it will be either Zoom or hybrid. So you, wherever you are, we want your story proposals. And you can send them to info at truetaleslivenh.org. We would love to see you at one of our monthly Zoom workshops. It's usually on the first Tuesdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And the next one is next week, Tuesday, December 5th. Again, info at truetaleslive.org. Can we get you more info? And also see truetaleslivenh.org for links to register for the workshops. Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98 on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. And anytime you can see us as video on demand or podcast, you can go to our website to access those options. Please help me to thank, give some thanks here to a few of the folks who make this show possible. Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Benningfield, Kamisha Foley, Tina Charpentier, and myself. I'm Amy Antonucci, and before we move to the backstory interview, in which David Frainer will speak with Chris Newcomb, we're gonna have a minute of movement. It's our, our True Tales dance party. It's literally 60 seconds, and uh, just kind of shake off the Zoom before you come to listen to that. You can stay seated, but we do think you should move at least a little, and you might want to switch to um, gallery so you can see everyone else. I just have to get it going here. Drum roll, please. And...
And we're back. And welcome to our Black Story Conversation. This evening with Chris Newcomb is Amy. Amy Bible. We lost David. He's coming back. Not sure how that happened. There you are, David. Ah, anyway, welcome, Chris. And let's all plunge right in uh, to your story about being audited by the IRS at a time when you didn't, didn't make much money teaching. And as Pat mentioned, you had a whole career teaching elementary and middle school gifted students hmm. very successfully. But first things first, share with us, if you will, your view of how this story fits into the overarching theme of the elephant in the room. I'm sure listeners have their own ideas, but we'd like to hear yours. <laughs> well, that, it'd be fun to hear what everybody thinks. I, it's sort of a stretch maybe, but it's the fact that here I am with absolutely no money. I mean, I'm so poor and I'm the guy getting audited. That just to me seems like, can we not, do we not see this, Ellen? Do you not see what's going on here? And boy, she didn't see it at all. She didn't care. And so to me, that's the elephant in the room. It's just this huge, like, come on, you know? So. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and your career was, as mentioned, in education. And now, in a way, you have a second career storytelling. But your undergraduate was in art. And as you mentioned uh, during the Q&A, you created these outdoor steel sculptures and then transitioned into this whole different area of woodblock watercolor art. Mm. So uh, two questions right off the bat. I think of art, Chris, as I imagine many people do, as a different kind of storytelling, but storytelling nonetheless. And I wonder if you could share with us some of your thoughts about the relationship between art, particularly your art, and storytelling. Ah, well, that's a good question. Uh, I thought so. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to me, and Kamisha mentioned something about storytelling, the big picture of storytelling, and I liked what she said. Um, but to me, we are all storytellers. We've been telling stories our whole life. All day long, people are telling stories. Oh, the weather sucked, or oh, this, or I had a great time, or oh, I was at the groceries. We're just telling stories. That's what we do all the time. But we also tell stories as a way to make sense out of our lives. Because our brains are really a sense-making machine. We're trying to figure this out. What's going on here? And so we tell these stories and we weave these stories to make sense of our lives and our experiences. And oftentimes we tell stories that actually put limits on us or they do all kinds of things to us. It's pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, storytelling is that. It's just telling the story of, and realizing that we have the right to change the story in our life that we don't need to tell the same story over and over and over. I mean, I used to tell some stories that just kept me locked in. And as I was, I can't remember the name of the woman, the older woman who always says this, you know, the L's, the four L's, but one of them is learning. And I tell you, I've been thinking about that a lot since I retired. After two years, I, I retired during COVID. And so I was by myself. I'm by myself a lot anyway, but extremely by myself. But I realized after two years, I had not learned anything new really. And that, oh my God, this is how you become a crotchety old man. <laughs> you just, you, know, you got your ways set. Everything's here. You got to learn. And, but it's just, so you can learn and you can change your story and, and try to do things. So my artwork, it's very similar. I think all of the arts are about the creative process. They're just on it. And it's not just art. It's 
I think human beings have to be involved or should be involved in the creative process every day as often as they can because in that creative process there's this point where you have to take a risk. You have to say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the unknown. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what color this will be. I don't know what shape. I don't. But those are the things that we do in our life. We take those risks and then we grow and you can't grow without taking a risk. Um, so I think that in my art, I feel like I'm doing that, but you can do that as a cook. You can do that in your, your yard or in your job, any way you want. You can, you can, you know, kind of reframe your story in, in any way you want. And so, and I, I think my artwork is, it tells a story like I'm working on a series right now that I call the my spiral series. It's pretty simple, but it, it's the idea that you can look at each piece, you look at it this way, and see certain things. But then if you turn it this way, oh, there's a whole different world there. And then if you turn it this way, oh, and turn it this way. So I want to do a show where I have all these pieces, but there'll be four prints of the same exact piece, but in different places in the show, but at a different angle. Because the idea is that as you look at something from a new perspective, oh my God, isn't that amazing? Isn't that different? And the need for us to do that. So in my storytelling, I've always try to do something where I get people to wake up a little bit or see something, you know, and I think oh, I do your that. art does that too, I think. Yeah, yeah. So that second question related to that, that I wanted to put to you is, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk about the transition from your outdoor steel art to, <laughs> you know, as you say, it's quite a dirty process. And then the woodblock watercolor art, it seems like quite a transition. And I would think there was some risk involved in that or some some kind of challenge. Mm. Could you share well, a little bit about that? You know, yeah. The, it came out of that point when I was asking myself, oh, I haven't learned anything. I need to make sure that I'm learning and growing. So I started looking online to find where there classes, and they were all Zoom classes at the time, but were there classes in art I could take somewhere? And nothing at the main College of Art, nothing at USM, nothing. Really? So then I... Uh, and so that was probably late spring. In July, I remember very clearly, I walked out my door and I was headed to my studio where I worked with steel. And I thought to myself, this is just not joyful anymore. Mm -hmm. And it had always been joyful. It had always been. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got to stop this. <laughs> this isn't joyful. What's the point of doing this? And so at that point, within a few weeks, this, I got an email from this gallery that said that they were doing this woodblock watercolor printmaking class. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. But there was something about it that went, ooh, this is the thing. So it was just a two-day workshop, and I took it. And I was so overwhelmed by it and so fell in love with it so much that I came home, and the next day I cleaned up all of my steel equipment. I put it on Craigslist, and I said I want to sell this all as one unit. Um, within 24 hours, a guy from Rockland came down, took it all away. The next day I took all the steel that I had left over, and I took it to a place called the People's Inclusive Welding in Port South Portland and gave that to them. And then I just started cleaning and painting my studio. And suddenly I had this new studio where I was doing this woodblock watercolor printmaking process. And it's been so fun in so many ways. One, it's clean, it's, it's, uh, it's colorful, it's watercolor. I mean, I washed my hands with, you know, it's watercolor. It's wonderful. It's, uh, but the most astounding thing that has happened is somehow I've been working in art by myself for years and years, for decades. I'm suddenly working with other people. I invite people in to just work, you know, and they hear about it. Go, oh, come on, try it out. And then suddenly I have two or three people and we're trying it out. And what happens is 
in about five or 10 minutes, they're so engrossed in their process that it's absolutely silent. And there's two or three of us working in my studio and nobody's saying a word because it's that creative thing is happening. And I haven't had that since art school. And it's just been so fabulous to be part of that. And everyone who comes in says the same thing. So now I'm teaching adult ed classes and the same thing's happening there. People are, the last class I taught these, this one guy said, you know, he went to, I can't remember where it was, but Massachusetts College of Art or something. And he said, I haven't had a chance to be with other artists in 20, 30 years. This is unbelievable. And it's so, it's just somehow it's brought people into my part of this, you know, it's easy to do and share. And I've, I've gone to, I went to a weekend in, uh, where was it? Oh, up in China Lakes. And I took some of my stuff up with me and I got about five or six people that were there and they all joined me and we did wood. <laughs> it was great, but it's wow. been a process. It's been so fun. And, uh, but I have to say that my whole life has been sort of like that. I was in education <laughs> and I was bored with education courses. And I took a photography class and went up, oh, that was it. And overnight, I just, I went over to the Dean of the college of art and I said, I wanted, I want to switch and become an art major. And he said, would well, you have a portfolio and letters of recommendation? I said, I don't have any of that. I don't, I don't have anything, but I told him what I had experienced with photography. And for some reason, something in that story clicked and he said, all right. And he welcomed me in without any, <laughs> any references, any, anything. And, uh, it totally changed everything in that direction. And I've sort of done that many, that seems to be something I've done a lot in my life. But. Before we run out of time, which we're not about to do, but I do want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about your one person, or as Pat Spalding says, your one woman show, <laughs> <laughs> your one person show. I think you might be wrong. So um, is there a, do you have plans to replicate that in the future? How well, that, actually that's, that's that on, I, I put a link in the chats for, for my YouTube channel and that that entire show is on the YouTube channel. So if anybody oh. wants to see it, they can. And then I have another show I'm doing this January called other, and it's uh, a memoir of sorts, but it's about feeling other, other than, and about people who you know, learn in other ways and what's normal. Um, and Ellen Stout is one of that because she's one of those other kind of people that I think just, you know, she's another. Um, so it's, but it's a story, it'll be a, about an 80, 90 minute story of, of others, you know, all about other. So I'm very excited about that. And what led you to the other? What led you to this next? Feeling, feeling other. I have a, a child who's trans and I've always felt other and I don't want to take too much time with that, but I'll, you know, and I think so many of us do in, in, in some way, shape or form, but when they embrace their otherness, uh, it really brought the otherness back up to me about, you know, I mean, I even began, I, am I trans? Eh, no. Am I gay? Absolutely. But trans? No. But I realized that in the, after some serious thought about it, what that other thing had done, because from the time I was in kindergarten, I realized I wasn't one of the boys. The boys drove me crazy. All they did was argue and fight and grab stuff. And then the girls, I didn't really identify with them, but they had the cool stuff. They had the paint and they had the, modeling clay and they had the cool little refrigerator with the fake food in it and you know they had all that but I didn't identify as a girl and I wasn't a boy so I thought mm, I'm just other but I never realized that as a child I translated that to mean I was less than and I think we so many of us do that if we don't fit in the mold of what's around us we just you can't help it but you feel less than there's something wrong and you feel like you don't belong or you're invisible or what's going on so this is 
my response to that, trying to share stories about that kind of thing, as well as against in my teaching, I had, I got to work with some wonderful students who learned in ways that are just not your, you know, you wouldn't say, hey, that's a bright, bright student, and yet they're incredibly creative and incredibly talented. Well, Chris, keep us posted on the the show when it's mounted, and so we Thank can you. we'll put out information about it in the newsletter. My last question is almost always the exact same question. For people who are just thinking of getting started in storytelling in a sentence or two or a paragraph, what would you recommend that they do to get started? I would say, think back to your favorite storyteller, whether it's an uncle, an aunt, a brother, a sister, a friend, uh, maybe it was Mark Twain, but whatever. But think back to your favorite, especially a storyteller you've been involved in. And just think to yourself, Try to get back in that a story they were telling and try to imagine what the room smelled like, what it looked like, what colors, what sounds. Just try to remember everything by all the senses there and tell yourself that story, if nothing else. Maybe tell it to somebody else, but to think back about that, what it was like to be in that experience with somebody telling that story and then just see what comes out of you as a result. Very nice. Well, this brings us to the end of our backstory conversation. Chris, thank you so much, not only for your story, but for this conversation. And this brings us, friends, to the end of our program. A couple of brief reminders to follow up on what Amy first mentioned. Our next event is our workshop next Tuesday. And if you are new to storytelling, we encourage you to try our workshop. It's a great place to start, and you can sign up on our website. And you can learn more about True Tales Live at truetaleslivenh.org. And while there, sign up for our newsletter, True Tales Times. And we have a favor to ask if you are a subscriber, we want to share our program more widely. So we'd appreciate it if you share your copy of our newsletter with friends that might be interested. And know that your sharing of the Times does not pre-commit your friends to subscribing, and it can help build our business. As Amy mentioned, our next show is not in December, but in January and tonight's show will eventually be posted on PPM TV's YouTube channel. But PPM TV is in the process of building a new studio in Foxfront Mall, apparently. And as a result, we don't know when this show will be posted. In fact, September's show is yet to post. It's all a work in process, as they say. So when the show is posted, we'll let you know on our Facebook page, on our website, and in our newsletter. And just before we conclude here, and we'll end up with an outro by Kamisha. In their book, How to Tell a Story by the Moth, they write, and I quote, some of the best stories at the moth can seem as though the storyteller and everyone in the audience are breathing the same breath. Every brain in the room seems to fire together. The hearts share beats per minute. Per minute. Imagine how exciting we were when we learned that this feeling is backed up by science. It's called speaker-listener neural coupling. The catch is, it only happens when the listener is fully engaged, unquote, the moth. And I want to add that in a way, that's our goal too. We might not use the same language, but the goal is really the same, to create a compassionate, creative community, the kind of thing that Chris was describing, in which fully engaged storytelling 
and fully engaged story listening find a good common home. That is our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. And now Kamisha will bring up our closing musical outro. My name is David Frainer. Good night. Thank you.